comments. Give us a sign. Hello and welcome to another episode of the <laughs> VR Download, a weekly show broadcast live from the Upload Virtual Studios, where we bring you the latest news, reviews, comments, and interviews from the VR space. See, I'm glad we redid it because that one sounded better. I yep. am your host, Kyle, who is not David. So those of you who watched last week saw that David was not Kyle, but that's been fixed. That bug has been removed. All right, let's see who else we have on today's panel. Hey, everyone, it's Harry, news writer for Upload VR. Over here we have... Thank you, David. I'm Jamie. <laughs> that's oh, good of you to introduce me. I'm David. Ian. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Good to see All you. All right. Too. So let's get into the first subject of the day. And uh, let's see, it looks like the first piece of news today is about Valve. Future Steam VR features will be on OpenXR as Valve transitions from OpenVR. Who here wants to explain to the audience the Ian, I saw your I hand raise. Ian's hand went up. What is OpenXR versus OpenVR? Help us out. Yeah, explain so it's fa- fairly confusing because of the similarity of the terms, but OpenVR is more or less the system that Valve implemented that lets a variety of headsets interact with SteamVR. So it was more or less a precursor to OpenXR, which is a completely industry-wide standard. There's all the companies that support it. Pretty much across the board, you can see uh, Valve, uh, Epic should be up there, Unity should be up there. Yeah, Unity is there. Yeah, there it is. And Facebook. I don't see... where's. Facebook, you see Oculus. Yeah. So you've got pretty much uh, the entire industry supporting OpenXR, which is a standard that more or less lets you, in theory, write one app that targets an API and then accesses multiple types of VR headsets out there. So it should make it easier to make an app for multiple devices. Uh, Does Pimax isn't on the list? Do they support OpenXR? Oh no! Hmm. Oh no! Mm. Together, we could we could put up the chart that shows how big Pimax is on Steam and. Uh, <laughs> oh damn! Going all in today, man. Already. Yeah. Sorry. Personally, I'm, I'm very glad that the very silicon is in there. I would have been worried if very silicon wasn't in there. <laughs> Same as silicone. Sorry. Uh, Z space. Now, I'm very glad Z space is in there. <laughs> I will say that I have That's used Z space products, and, and yeah. I actually am a big fan of their technology. They've been around being for a sarcastic. long time. I wasn't being no. sarcastic. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm hey. just as excited about Z space as I am. <laughs> Luna G. And my <laughs> and my That's a G. Microsoft is up there. Yeah, look at that. Okay, okay, yeah. I guess it's a, yeah. Uh, okay. So the the trick here is that. Uh, the, I think OpenXR now accounts uh, for AR stuff, and we'll have to see in like sort of future versions of OpenXR how that extension happens. And then uh, the other thing that sort of needs to be noted. Yeah. What? what? <laughs> Nokia. Sure. It's, it's what Nokia you done recently. It's so Sorry, Nokia, Nokia, if you're watching. When you want to enable VR on your tiny brick phone, you can do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you. Well, and anyway, they've, got that, they've got that yeah. big 360 camera. Yes, oh, yeah. the, it had a name once. I can't so remember he, what it was. <laughs> I think it ended. Oh, 
Heaney and I have gone back and forth on this because yeah. there's still significant differences between an Android-based standalone headset and a PC-based, you know, VR headset. And so even if OpenXR is going to solve a lot of you know, targeting multiple headsets with a single app, it's still going to require a significant amount of effort on developers' parts to get their apps both running on like a standalone with super resource-starved Android ecosystem and a PC headset. Something so, uh, kind of related to this, what you were saying about the um, Android and you know the standalone headset and the PC VR headsets. Talking to uh, the co-creator of Shooty Skies Overdrive yesterday, or was it yesterday, whenever I talked to him, he was saying that because they're a mobile studio, uh, for them, which I think they're one of the only ones, they were kind of happy in thinking about Quest first because they're used to Android. And so it was kind of like the opposite way to how you usually see it where they're going back to PC. I thought that was really interesting. It's like them and the guys who did the room, and they're the only two places that are kind of like mobile studios going the opposite way around. So that was just an interesting thought that I had, but please go on. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's what you're describing is like a tricky way of kind of like explaining this to people who are just like, Maybe considering the jump from development on another system to VR development. And it's like, you just have to realize how incredibly difficult it is, A, to get through Facebook's development pipeline and be approved for release on the Quest. And then B, just performance-wise, how hard it is to get on the Quest in the first place in order to get your software running at frame rate. And then, uh, but, but if you can get through those two kind of like things... Then, in theory, it's easier to adapt from Android to a PC release, isn't it? it, it sort of. I mean, the, the way that these two charts demonstrate the differences between uh, prior to and after OpenXR, it almost feels like it's simplifying the process. But in reality, how much simplification is actually occurring here? I mean, the, the problem with standards is that getting everybody onto one stamp, I mean, everybody's seen that XKCD comic about standards and stuff. Is this actually that much better than what we were dealing with? Because then in the long run, you still end up with five devices at the bottom who are coming through the same steps. OpenXR is just interjecting itself in order to what streamline it save a couple well, milliseconds it, cause it, a better compatibility it for, doesn't it make it easier for developers to implement that and not have to kind of jump through hoops to make sure everything's supported isn't that the idea well that's what i'm asking is that i believe that is i believe so i mean did, one thing instead. i do know is that developers have to go through a significant process to map their software on all the all the different control schemes um though that that said you know daydream is dead Gear VR is dead. Um, and Rip. we've got Go is dead as well. So uh, six off two controllers, you know, six off controllers is a kind of like a standardization that's happened in a different way. Um, you know, it's one of these things that's over a long period of time we'll see this take effect and, and simplify the process. You know, the dream is there's always this dream that you've got this library of content that you can take to any VR headset you do have down the line and i think we're still years away from that being the reality the the significant thing at least from the steam vr news i think is that uh we'll get into this later when we talk about valve index stuff but like 
we need you know the steam vr ecosystem i think could use a lot of upgrades like we, the, there's a gap there between the experience of setting up an oculus quest or a rift s and setting up a steam vr headset with the guardian mm. outside vr there's a there's a very big gap there and i think uh the fact that valve at least said that new features in steam vr are likely to be supporting open xr is an indication that maybe we'll see some new features and new experiences for the Steam VR ecosystem in the coming months. And it'll now, also be attached to this open XR stuff. Everybody's familiar with the, the concept of uh, the reality algebra that we do, uh, especially on social media, that AR plus VR equals XR. Solve for R. It, it's, it's a strange thing. Are there any AR Steam projects out there right now that can be run on uh, any of the commonly known ar headsets like hololens or pico or uh not pico what am i yeah, thinking I'm... of no, and real yes yeah, yeah, i'm pretty sure steam's uh support is still limited to the vr headsets like when when mr is not in reference to hololens that's in reference to the windows mixed reality vr headsets which hmm. of course, let's talk about let's talk about MR now. No, no, never mind. I don't want to. I don't <laughs> want to. Please don't. It brings back bad memories. <laughs> so what? What's the what's the general concept here? What will the end user see as a result of this versus what will the developers see as a result of this? I mean, that's that's the thing. The end user should see very little uh, change. And the developer should eventually see uh, a way of targeting Oculus, Steam, and eventually other headsets with a single uh, sort of interface and API. Um, but it's a long process. This is still, I think it's still in beta support. Is that right, Heaney, on Rift? It's like hidden in Rift. But uh, yeah, so there's, there just needs to be more robust support. Windows, for example, has... OpenXR runtimes running, and so you could build an app uh, to do that. I think I even tried. I might have tried to run something through that, and it was a little buggy. So this is still in development, still rolling out, and it's even a beta release in Steam as well. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for a uh, widely established open platform standard that everybody uses it'll make the development much simpler but will everybody be on board so uh oculus uh, all the people that were on that original slide these are all people that are supporting it who's going to be the big one that doesn't that screws it up <laughs> yeah that's a great question i mean the elephant in the room is always apple uh and that's kind of the concern uh that maybe they throw a curveball into the into all that down the line then again uh like apple support when they finally get around to doing vr vr or ar headset supporting this could be a powerful uh powerful way I, of surely supporting surely they would not. i mean yeah, they would they but might yeah, I, apple don't apple always up sure. to their own <laughs> apple always up to their own thing don't they that's my they do they love to have their my, own version yeah. of everything yeah yeah, they I can't standard. understand why they do that. All oh. right, <laughs> hey, 
Let's move on to the next piece of news. Apple bashing. What's the next piece of news? We're going to have our weekly Apple bashing. And I apologize again. We swapped out David and it's still Apple bashing. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I I have uh, switched to the dark side and I have been using Apple for several years and understand the dark side i i, I understand the <laughs> ecosystem well years of android uh like, i mean darth right? vader still called the dark side the dark side harry that's okay, true it's true it's yeah true. i mean come on least, man he, he always knew where I, he was i don't think tim cook calls himself darth vader though <laughs> true. Yeah, well not I mean, public none of yet yeah, exactly around no, apple he does not have a hubris like address me as vader yeah Lord Cook, or you know, <laughs> Lord Apple. All right, the next piece of news is Facebook is getting rid of Beat Saber from all of the VR arcades, which has just blown my mind. I mean, just exploded my brain because that's actually a lot of fun. I mean, I could play Beat Saber right uh, now if I wanted to, but the idea of kids or adults going to arcades, uh, what, Harry? Really? What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really. So just to be clear, we are talking about there those ones with the the yeah. really obtrusive wire, mm-hmm. and it always looks terrible when you're watching someone do it. I've watched so many people do it. I'll, I'll do a demonstration of what someone using this arcade looks like. All right, Harry. I mean, it sure looks like you're playing Beat Saber. I'm only no, going to say this once. Over and it's like Hold the on. cord's always too short. I'm only going to say this once. You show me, other than the ones that are scripted and are probably not really playing, you show me a person who looks really cool doing VR all of the time. No, 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 no. Especially no, no. Like, I right. mean, like, the, the, the Beat Saber cord on those like, machines always look too short. People looked uncomfortable. I it's, never like it. Not just looking lame. It didn't look like a good experience to me It's ever. super poorly maintained in a lot of places. Yeah. I'm just giving you a hard time. But yeah. he's, he's very right. What What's the logic? Why did they remove it? <laughs> Uh, Ian. <laughs> okay, I, I, went, I went off a lot on that last one, so I was going to let you all speak. But you, you, uh, you know more. Um, I'm, you know, I, I try to be an objective journalist and not interject my opinions as often as possible, even though you know it's hard. We live in a Twitter. Ecosystem, Look how that you know, works. You're going to go. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, I'm disappointed that Facebook wouldn't comment on the record about this, and I reached out to both Beat Games and Facebook for an official comment uh, explaining this. They did not. My suspicion or guess would be that it's a music licensing issue. A lot of our commenters, I'm sure, in the comments on our stream, as well as the comments on the article, are all at the same uh, sort of conclusion that it's a music licensing issue. And the fact that they would not comment on it gives strength to the idea that maybe there's an ongoing negotiation underway with music labels that they wouldn't want to interfere with by commenting publicly that, you know, such and such label are being jerks and we didn't want to, you know, games the team on focus on something that wouldn't work. Games that use licensed music is an epic fail in every direction for every group of people who wants to stream or wants to share a trailer or wants to do anything. I mean, we're constantly dealing with this. This is an ongoing problem. In a game like Beat Saber, where everybody wants to show themselves whipping their blades up and down in high scores, you put it on Facebook, Facebook mutes it. Facebook, you know. What, and it, it, somewhat related to this, this is a very good point you just made because you reminded me of something which uh, came up a few weeks ago because Twitch started doing that whole DCMA 
um, yep. going back to your and, old clips and yep. and kind and of in, bringing up- I saw a bit of news yesterday that apparently Facebook, I never knew this existed, had a TikTok clone mm-hmm. of some Glasso. sort that yeah. that shut really? down. And one of the things in that TikTok clone was a quote like large library of music that you can import into your short videos that you would produce for Facebook ecosystems. All of this to say that I would not be surprised if, you know, senior executive staff at Facebook weren't in negotiations with the music labels for something around Horizon. Like, I would imagine that you want to listen to music in Horizon, use music in Horizon, uh, build worlds with music. You know, there's a lot of things that Facebook, I imagine, would want to do down the line with music. And it might require a whole new license agreement with these corporations. Just, do you know, like, just to be, you go. Well, isn't it just more to do with the fact that they were using Windows VR headsets on those rubbish stations that me and Harry are talking about? Like, like I, I get where you're coming from with the music licensing thing, but like the, the current off, installations for Beat Saber were really bad. I was also going no, to say, to be clear, those installations. Music? Those those arcade machines, I think, are separately managed from the arcade situation I'm talking about. I'm talking about when I'm talking about arcades, oh, okay. it's like an HTC Vive, a specialized business HTC Vive that oh. has Springboard VR and a version of Beat Saber available through Springboard that's built for an arcade. Oh, right. So, so not, the, not the machine, the, the purpose-built machines. Uh, I'm, or boxes I'm not or sure that those are going to be yeah, around sure. or not, but I think they're in Asia. They were in Asia. I don't know if I ever saw them. But there's someone in them for North America as well. Oh, yeah, I've seen oh, a couple okay. in America. I mean, yeah. it's like Dave and Buster's fodder for sure. I mean, you'd definitely be able to put a Beat Saber machine in of Dave and Buster's and have a line of people who want to try it. I'm wondering, though, just to take it to the next level, is there something in their, I don't know, end user agreement or something that says that I can't publicly show this off. So if I drove up in a white van and said, Hey, come play Beat Saber. <laughs> what? It, it is, is. Don't Oculus do that. Get, just, just so you I know. Realize don't, that now. Don't ever do that. I, I get it. Uh, <laughs> But if I made an installment that was publicly available for people to come and use, is that violating what Facebook is trying to accomplish? That's a good question. I'm not sure. So the other question I have is, oh, sorry, I was going to say, with the, with the, going back to the music, um, you're saying it might be a music licensing thing. But the thing is, is aren't all of the standard songs on Beats Haver owned by them because they made the music? No, some yeah, of them were, but we're talking about the, the well, last the year of Beat Saber's life has been Imagine Dragons, sure, Green Day. Sure, but restrict it so there's no music packs. I guess there's no way to do that because you then have to have a custom Beat Saber version. Yes, yeah, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a fair point. Um, I, so there's obviously, there's Supernatural out there, there's Pistol Whip, there's the Springboard VR recommended like four or five other music apps that arcades could use instead of Beat Saber. Uh, the issue with all of them is because we're, you know, in media news outlet, we like to show gameplay of these various games. And there are different like sort of workflows at each of these companies. And each one is handling the licensing issue differently. And so if I... Um, 
if I record a couple of songs in Supernatural and want to post that on our YouTube channel, it's very likely we're going to get a takedown request from mm -hmm. the music label who owns that song. Yep. And be told off. Yep. Uh, and so, like, I think that's kind of, I mean, that's a pet peeve for me. Like, I've got this long history. Like, my, my earliest computer memories was going into iMovie and learning how to make iDVD uh, project oh. and burning a, burning a DVD and putting what it in classic. the machine and showing that to my family. And then I realized, you know, as soon as the internet came around and I wanted to sort of put that on YouTube, all those songs in my iTunes library uh, were dead uh, to distribution. And I think there's a real sort of like opportunity out there for Apple or Facebook or Amazon to make those songs for distribution with user-generated content. Let people remix them. Let people use them in their personal projects. The thing is, though, is that the reason why this licensing is so difficult to figure out is because people don't want their uh, music, their art associated with certain things. Somebody mm. might have said, mm. I don't I don't want my game to be in pistol or I don't want my music to be in pistol whip because I don't want people going pew, pew, pew to my tunes. Now, yeah. you can't stop somebody from doing it personally, but to broadcast it out to the rest of the world that you're using this song to shoot. Uh, shadow people with is I mean I can see where that could be a problem for certain artists yeah. and also I think the other thing too with this stuff is like you know I imagine for Facebook right if they're trying to acquire the rights to like you know use Green Day and Beat Saber it's probably a lot harder to say use Green Day and anyone that uploads it can you know get away without getting a copyright takedown or anything like that like that's a whole other layer that they have to add on there that I imagine would make negotiations quite hard or make the artist less enticed to sign on. The last thing that I'll say about this is that I have been to a Dave and Buster's and there is a kiosk where you can play Angry Birds or Fruit Ninja. It's a big TV. It's a big touchscreen TV and people are lining up to pay to play this game that they can play on their phone for free. But yet they still want to do it in there. And that's the only thing that I feel is unfortunate because I like the idea that every single one of these booths in the picture, which was probably staged or not, uh, that people want to go and try things that they don't want to buy yet. This is this is gateway for you going home and buying a quest. So no one has ever looked that comfortable, Kyle, using one of those machines. That's <laughs> like that photo is like take a photo of an iPhone straight out of the box. Like it looks amazing, and then like well, any phone, and then you know six months down the line, there's scuffs all over it. You know, <laughs> the power button stop working, and you're hunched over, like trying to do some weird stuff with Beat Saber. Yeah, no one it's like, hunched over. Hunched. It's, they're always because the cords get too short, and people like it's always weird, and they're always like in a weird position with their head. I don't know. I just I feel sorry for anyone that's ever used one of those things because I never they never look comfortable. They never look good. All right. Let's move on to the next piece of news. Okay. Google. Google is doing something really fun. Google figured out how to stream six DOF video over the internet. All you need is a $10,000 camera and a 300 megabit connection. Um, it's pretty cool technology. It's really neat. I mean, if you look at the concept of it, this rig itself, what it's doing is it's giving you basically a bigger center point that you can move around. So by having the cameras be out further from the, 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 the center point, it gives you some wiggle room. You're still yeah. going to end up 
having a physical limit to how far you can go. It's this isn't light centimeters. Right. It's it, not it's usually like the, the sphere of the it's usually the sphere of the camera that that you can actually move it's, your head around in. It's it's yeah, it's like seventy centimeters it is. Seventy so, centimeters? So you can you've got seventy centimeters of like movement distance from where your head starts, you know? Hey Google, how many inches is seventy centimeters? Oh my like, oh.
you know, HoloLens had a sixed off uh, 360 video type of experience where basically what they did was they did a rig similar to this, but then they created within the the sphere of your movement a kind of a virtualized part. So they like took a, um, I don't know, like a park and they took the grass and the trees that are very close to you, and then they virtualized it. They made a, a like a Unity 3D model version, and then they put the video on the outside of that. Mm-hmm. So you could move around a bit, but there was still a physical limitation how far you could go, but it was much bigger. That's uh, interesting. I, it, it really is kind of neat, especially when it's coming from an AR headset where it's... Uh, you know, transparency and all that stuff. There's been a flip side of that where I've seen like, uh, they bring an actor into one of those Microsoft capture studios. Yep. And then they put that person inside of a virtual environment. And the combination of like 3d captured person in a virtualized environment gives you the six top freedom to work, to walk around. Mm. Hallelujah. Did you ever see, I think there was a performance of hallelujah. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. I, I don't know if we talked about this. isn't like light field capture just way more exciting than this? Like, oh, or, or am I, yeah, but am it's I also way, way no, you're right. It's way more intense and requires a lot more computation. And but ooh, I mean, there is there is stuff you can try out now. Like Google has their own version of it on on Steam VR, which is really really cool. But he but this is an extension of that, right? He need this is an extension of that research. The, uh, the problem, okay, right, okay. it's the about light field version and, of it, and the other. The other thing is, is that this is something that even though it's, I mean, we keep saying 10K, I think it's actually like 7.6 or something K, but it is something you can go and buy and use and like it exists. And I mean, I think Heaney made the point in the article that 7.6K for such a specialized technology, I think it's like each of the cameras is like 100 and something bucks, but it's like really, it's not that much given what you're kind of doing. Um, you know, I mean, you think about specialized cameras, they're really expensive because some, you know, film cameras are hugely expensive. It's not that much. A, a true light field experience would give you the opportunity to walk around everywhere. All Google is doing right here with this technology is giving you the ability to go like this yeah. with your head and not have to worry that the video is stuck to you. So all it's doing is giving you this type of rotation and movement to give you less nausea uh, when you're viewing a 360 stereo video. And that's brilliant, but it's not as in-depth as I can get up and, you know, I'm just going to get up and walk around now. You know, it's not that way. Yeah. But it is. It's 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 an in-between. Yeah, exactly. It's a stopgap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. The only thing I wanted to add was light field is one of those terms that's often misused by a lot of marketing organizations. Uh, and the people behind this, this is Paul DeBevec's work, right, Heaney? Um, Paul DeBevec was at the USC Mixed Reality Lab where Palmer Lucky worked, where Mark Bolas worked before sort of the explosion of VR. And then Paul went on to take his research to Google and start sort of developing exactly this type of tech. Mark Bolas is at Microsoft doing some of their VR work. And then obviously Palmer Lucky went on to do Oculus and grow goatee. Uh, yeah. But and really good goatee. Well, just uh, interesting to see these kind of technologies really? live almost a decade later in more refined ways. Like this, there's, there's still clearly a long path to go for this, but like, I want to say a decade ago, the stuff 
Paul DeBevec was working on was like a whole light stage where you literally had a whole room flashing lights at a person in order to see how the light bounced off their faces at every different angle. And it was just giant rig. You'll see it in some sci-fi movies. Um, and it's just kind of like, this is uh, the other end of the technology. This is the, the other cameras looking out rather than the lights sort of capturing inward. But you can see that it's getting smaller and smaller and closer and closer to consumerization. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what Google did. Google bought somebody, North, and they bought their focal smart glasses. Has is, is anybody here actually seen these in real life or out in the wild? Modeled by Kyle right now. Yeah, I, I <laughs> somehow missed them at, at various events. Well, what are they offering that's so valuable that Google bought them? Like, I think that's realistically a Google Glass 2.0. Like, if we're going to go back to the... It's uh, lacking the tracking necessary for a real uh, AR system, lacking the um, display system to match it. I mean, it's got a display system, but it's not the same as uh, a tracking-driven display system that can actually map... Uh, what you're seeing onto various objects in the real world. So this is like a smartwatch on your face is more or less what Focals, I think, was and what it fit into. It was notification-based, right? It was all about notifications yeah. and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. There has been an ongoing debate over whether or not Google has abandoned the concept of smart glasses, AR, VR, XR. Where's Daydream? Where's Cardboard? Where's uh, there's, there's no momentum for any of that. So why would they purchase this unless they are still actively pursuing that type of technology? I mean, they seem pretty active in AR, do they not? Like in terms of not just uh, glasses AR, but like mobile AR stuff. AR core and things like that. There's always stuff that they're improving there. I guess not quite the same, but you know. But but what is the what are they journeying to? What's the, what are they, yeah, what are they, what are yeah. they working towards? Yeah, right. Well, I think with Google, there's a lot of like I think to that stuff with um to go back to like as I was just saying with AR core. You know, there's a lot of stuff they've done. Like the most recent thing I wrote about was that you could search for something and uh, click on view in AR and it would bring up, you know, a model of a human body or organ or something in AR and you could look, explore it with your camera. And I think with Google, because they've got all that kind of inbuilt system, there's a lot of like education uh, kind of potential there, you know, with something like an AR glasses integrated with Google, um, integrated with search. Don't know what that means in terms of hardware where they're trying to end up, but I think Google does have a lot of potential for like integration because there's a lot of there's such a system in place that you know integrating that with. Absolutely makes any sense. But, no, it you know, does. It does. Yeah. I don't know, guys. That's uh, the thing with Google is it's perpetually like a joke that they're they respond to competitors in a weird way. They eventually find like a way to. The whole business is about automating a process to access the entire global population. So, like, they don't, they don't consider it, like, a worthy market for them to think about unless it's all 7 billion people on the planet that they could potentially reach. And AR That's pretty crazy is, thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and Facebook's kind of, like, approaching it from this other end of, like... We think VR is going to be, you know, we want to get to a billion people with VR. That's one, you know, 
one seventh uh, the percentage of the whole global population, and it's still mm, years and years away of being achievable with VR and AR. And it's just uh, it's it's approaching these things from completely different perspectives. Um, where like Facebook and I mean Apple obviously has the rumors out there they're actually getting serious about doing glasses, and it's just kind of like if you go back to glass. You had this product that was extraordinarily expensive and had a very limited feature set. And the leadership of Google at the time thought, you know, no, this is great product design. We're going to launch a whole new product category and put this on a lot of people's heads. And it's just there was a huge gap between what that leadership was thinking and what it actually was actually able to go out there and do. It happened again with Daydream. And still, there's you know Google as a company is still honing in closer and closer on the thing that people actually want and that large market. But it's like, how many bodies do they have to go through, and how many bad products do they have to go through before they actually achieve that market fit? It's twelve. It is. <laughs> it is interesting though when you say because you brought up Apple and I hadn't thought of that, but. Um, if you think of, like, we're, we were talking about Apple, I don't think last week, but the week before, and how, you know, we might get an Apple Watch kind of equivalent of some kind of glasses where it's notifications and that kind of thing. You know, not not true AR, but like kind of phone extension type thing. I think it's interesting to think of this kind of acquisition, given that this is very notification-based, you know, uh, stuff. It's We also and, lost Bose, right? Uh, Bose died within, Bose's AR effort died. Ten minutes? Uh, yeah, like recently. It, the the thing about the Apple Facebook class... Mm-hmm. Vice President of VR? Uh, no, oh, no, no, not Boz. Jeez, <laughs> that was a tough joke. Wow. That was a hard no. one. Um, Are you stealing my jokes now, Gene? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. The cool. thing that was so fascinating about the Apple rumors is the rumor or suggestion that they could have a tracking system on glasses that isn't actually uh, a camera based. It, it doesn't actually resolve your face. Like you, you could have a, could you have a tracking system on glasses that isn't a camera? It was kind of like the, the interesting rumors that came around with the last period of glasses. And that was one of the things that did in glass the first time was you put a camera on it and people were like why why are you filming me we're eating pizza like i mean <laughs> i th- i think it's interesting if you think of these if it came out you know something like this came out without a camera and it was purely notification talking to your phone kind of basic info a bit like a smartwatch type thing i think that's interesting to think of apple as releasing something like that and google kind of responding and having their because you know they kind of are somewhat competitors now with, with terms of mobile phones with you know pixel and that kind of thing and of course android but it's interesting to think about how you could have these two companies both releasing kind of like a halfway AR that's like a more like a smartwatch kind of functionality on your face. Okay, th- these aren't AR, and I know I could have a whole conversation with a hundred people and get totally different conversations occur. This is a HUD. This is just yeah. a notification yeah. system without the ability to record or interact. There, it's just a notification system. And the Correct, concept of what, how do you define AR and its usage and all that? I, I've gone back and forth with people, but this is very passive. Uh, you know, the Apple Watch is a relatively 
passive piece of technology. I mean, I'm yeah. stewing whether or not I want to get a smartwatch, but everything I've come to, it's just saving me the ability to have to pull my to phone out, look at no. it, put it back. But, but there's again, more to it than that. There's tracking. There's uh, uh, you know sensors that are doing things. Will these smart glasses, G1 smart glasses, have the ability to do more than just show me stuff? I don't think so. I, well, that's not the impression we get from like you know. We'll see. Things. We'll it's see. Tricky. Look, the Bose ones are such an interesting example because that that was a system that I believe someone correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. I tried it, but uh, it used the GPS on your phone to call itself AR. So in theory, it could say you know, uh, walk down the street, turn left, because mm-hmm. it's got that much resolution. But you'd actually need way, way, way more accuracy on your GPS and your direction, and it needs to work. Even if there's tall buildings all around you, um, so there has to be like a whole level of positioning understanding that's way beyond what like Bose was doing, and obviously the focals weren't quite there yet. Um, it, the, these are the the, the Bose. I, I tried the Bose uh, audio AR whatever they were uh, at South by Southwest a few years back, and it when it worked, it worked well. But it didn't always work. And there's a calibration issue. Uh, there's, you know, IMUs trying to determine which way you're looking. But really, if I were to, I'm not going to whip quickly, but if I were to whip quickly and then whip back, it gets confused because mm. the IMU, I don't know whether it was the IMUs they were using or whatever, but it really, there wasn't a lot of value to me. I personally did not see a lot of value in that technology. At, by itself now as a supplement to some other piece of technology sure that's a great idea but by itself who wants to spend money on glasses that know where you're looking and can talk to you but, no, but mean, that's kind of the, that's the point is you you can't see the so when we talk specifically about apple uh the whole array the whole constellation of their devices where you've got ear pods in your ear this is the lidar scanner that could in theory provide you so i've got this on an ipad right now and i tried an app with occipital um mm-hmm. they're the ones that make the yeah. structure sensor and they they basically let me uh gave me a free test to try this out and what i did was a scan of my living room where i i just took the ipad whipped it around my living room to do a scan of the living room and it produced a 3d map of my living room that looked reasonably like my living room like i could see all the outlines of everything but then what I had to do was uh, send off the scan to Occipital servers where they used cloud processing, a ton of servers, to reprocess everything that, that, my, that the iPad did mobily and combine it with the imagery that was captured every time I was moving it around my room. And then it produced, it sent me a, a file that was like 150 megabytes or something. And it was a reasonable, pretty good capture of my living room. So I was able to actually look around, see my couch and all these things. And it was actually had the, the textures applied to the map. But the, the idea or the theory out there is what if you just put the LiDAR scanner on a pair of glasses and had it just scanning without having the camera on there in order to protect people's privacy? It was a very interesting idea. The thing you know, I wanted to bring up. Well, you need the Apple camera is, to be able to get the texturing. Uh, yes, but, but LiDAR like, point is, what if you don't need the texturing in order to provide people the useful features? 
huh? of like mapping. Just so, the so like, you can tell how far things are, or you know. Mm-hmm. If, they, if they could look at the point cloud and just know that uh, you're 50 steps from the corner of your street, and yeah. then the AirPods or even the the rims of the glasses, the the ears going over your head, could say, "Okay, turn right up here." That's kind of what I'm getting at. Is where when you've got this constellation of devices, where you've got a watch, you've got ear AirPods in, and they all have certain bits of the puzzle, and you put them together and yeah. have this feature at the end of the day that says it's just effortlessly turn left at the street corner. Because you can combine the, the GPS watch kind of does that today, where it vibrates on your wrist and yeah. says, "Okay, turn turn now." Um, yeah, that's. Uh, that's all yeah. I'm getting at is when you start putting all these pieces together, you might have a great feature like turn-by-turn directions or step-by-step directions without actually even needing a display system to really do it. Or if you it's, do it's, do the display system, maybe it's even better. It's hmm. interesting, too, because you think of like Apple is uh, such a closed system that, you know, if they bring out a glasses thing with a LiDAR scanner that needs it to have an iPhone as well for GPS... It's kind of like that's a closed system where Google, they have Android and they have the Pixel phones, but it's kind of like, you know, they don't have that same reliance on having one piece of hardware from their company that they're like, you know, you need to have this to, it'd be a matter of which thing's compatible with what and, and that kind of thing. So it's interesting to compare the two. Cool. Uh, well, you know, we'll, have to, we'll have to pay attention and see, uh, see, see what where happens. all this goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so our last piece of news here, and we talked about it, we, we briefly touched on it. Uh, Facebook's Prototype photo real avatars now have realistic eyes. Uh, are we talking about these, Harry? Are these eyes? They look quite so realistic. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say uh, photo realistic, but they look they look decent, but not photo realistic. What, what what's what makes the eyes so real? Well, actually, those look pretty. Uh, man, these are the new ones, right, Heaney? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's pretty impressive. One, again, I looked into. I was looking into this today, and apparently Apple had a feature in their most recent beta for the last version of iOS that would correct your eyesight, your eye line, when in a FaceTime call, and it apparently got stripped out. If I was reading the headlines right, uh, in the subsequent beta releases, but the idea is your your eye is always pointed up at the camera. And this would just use machine learning and, and the system to identify where your eye is and actually point it directly at the screen so that the oh, so person on the like other end looking... of the call, yeah, it would, it would look oh. like you're pointed directly at the person and having an eye contact face to face conversation. Um, and this is more or less the similar research, but dedicated to VR when you have the headset on. It's pretty impressive. That, that's... That is very impressive. I mean, those, yeah, looking at those eyes, they look very, like, far out. So I wonder how, what level of technology is necessary within the headset itself. Like, will the, will traditional eye tracking, like Toby, provide this level of tracking, or is it a new generation that they're working on? I think the, I think the, the thing we have to take away from this, and I think it's one of the things that's kind of hard to grasp out there, is there has to be a, a close, tightly knit um, cooperation between hardware and software to keep this stuff going wonky. It doesn't lend itself to an open ecosystem very well. You know, there's the question of whether 
your data is, is owned by you or, or being misused, if it's an open ecosystem. But even beyond that, it's just, to your point, Kyle, about Toby, like, if Toby detects, you know, sees a shadow and makes your eye go wonky, um, you don't want to see that. There has to be correction into the whole software system so that your eye stays focused on what the software thinks you're looking at. And there has to be, like, filling in the gaps is more or less the point. Mm -hmm. Machine learning and all the software systems are about filling in the gaps in the data in smart ways. And it only works when you have, like, this tightly knit system working between the software and and the hardware. And you don't get that unless you have, like, a very strong, large software team really making sure that the stuff doesn't go wonky. See, this is the Mm -hmm. kind of detail that we're at now. This is the level we're at where this is the type of stuff that we're working on. Like the, the big, huge, like screen door effect and FOV and all that stuff. Those are still things, but now we're getting into the, the details and the devil's in the details. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to, to, to make, to, to make this work, you have to go get scanned in a rig that has lots and lots of cameras. And then you have to have a headset that also has the cameras on your eyes and a camera on your mouth. But in theory, if you pull all those pieces together, like maybe soon they can make the process not require dozens of cameras to actually capture capture your body. Uh, I don't know how they're going to get around whether the headset itself actually needs to see your eyes and your face. I think that's going to be assumed because right now all of our avatars, the things we're using now, are doing uh, so much guessing as to what we're actually meaning to express. And when we get to this level it's doing much less guessing, but it's still going to be doing some guessing. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like at the moment, like, you know, the avatars, like I know Hini is per avatars, so it's like there's certain uh, points of interest that the eyes will kind of, the avatar eyes will look it's at focus on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so it looks like you kind of, because I am looking at you and that's how my eyes are pointed, but if I kind of move slightly, it's probably still looking at you because it's kind of, you know what I mean? It's It's got these points of interest, whereas obviously this is a, eye tracking and with cameras of your way to offer much more accuracy. Imagine if we all could, you could all see where all of us are looking exactly at any point. How weird would that be? Uh, it's also just, it's also just funny. Like, um, I'm sure a lot of people watching right now and, and watching in the future obviously would have just played or will be about to play the last of us too. And that game is a game that really brings like graphical fidelity for, human facial animation on a console and in games up to a whole new level. And then you just look at this stuff and it's already blowing that stuff out of the water. But obviously, it's, I mean, obviously it's a very, very different uh, type of thing at the end of the day, but it's just, it's fascinating to see. All right. It is interesting. Yeah. Go I, think, no, no, I think we have exhausted yeah. this. I think we need yeah. to move on. <laughs> Let's jump to the release of the month. I mean, the release of release of the week uh, okay, so Jamie, you, you told us about some of the things before our unfortunate demise. Uh, not sure how much of that ended up going out into the public, but uh, what's our what, what are our, what's everybody playing this week? Well, let's start with if, okay, we'll shoot these guys. Well, yeah, so, so shoot out today is uh, shooty skies overdrive. It's on the <laughs> Oculus uh, store for Quest and Rift, and it's going to come to Steam next month. Um, which will be for all PC VR headsets. The main holdup with the Steam version is that they said that I was told yesterday that um, they've got to 
get more controllers and test the controllers out because, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of different controllers they need to support. So that's the main issue. Yeah, apart from that, uh, it's on Oculus and uh, Oculus Rift and Quest today. It's a lot of fun. It's like a wave shooter, uh, room scale wave shooter. Things come at you at kind of a 180 degree uh, angle and bullets are flying everywhere and you just pick your right hand or left hand is a little pilot. Uh, like you can see in the picture there with a little weird cat or some kind of animal it changes. And you've got to dodge bullets and shoot things like, you know, retro-looking computers and, and different stuff according to what theme the level is. Um, there's a review that I think is up now on the site uh, that I wrote, which it's a, it's a really fun, good experience. It's a bit short. Um, the campaign's five levels with varying difficulties, the, the highest of which is called Overdrive and is quite difficult. But I think it's a really fun uh, foundation and really good base game plan mechanics i can see like six months down the line when you know more modes are added at the moment there's only the campaign but i feel like as i said in my review if there was more modes i know there's an arcade high school mode on the way um modifiers that kind of thing a few more of those kind of features that you see in other arcade like titles on on quest and rift i think it could be amazing i think the foundation is really solid in terms of the game plan moving the gun and it can only go up from here but it's a fun campaign it's really good i'd recommend people check it out and this is on Rails, right? On on Rails, like you, Rails? You're, no, you're it doesn't brought, so no, it's, it's, it's a wave shooter. It's, it's uh, a wave shooter. Uh, yeah. in a room scale. Got that it. is one of the Did things you ever that play we spoke about, though. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. It's like that, but in a bigger kind of environment. But that's one of the things we did talk about in the interview too. Is um, they did think about you know they they said when Pistol Book came out they were kind of like oh should we have done something where it was kind of they decided to not move it forward for fear of losing comfort. Um, you know, rating slash making more people sick. So it's more like you sit and it's like this kind of like square environment which changes depending on the level you're in. Um, they're all themes of different things. That one's like kind of uh, lolly or candy, as you guys would say, kind of, you know, world. Um, but yeah, it's a room scale <laughs> thing. In a, in as a you would I mean, say. As you would say, you, you heathens. But yeah, so no, it's not on rails. It's just a set area for each level. Um, but it's really fun. It's a lot of... There's some really weird, cool power-ups you can get for your non-dominant hand. There's a lot of cool things going on about it. I really enjoyed it. See, I'm glad it's not on Rails, actually. I mean, there's so many games like that that are on Rails mm. at this point. Mm. That I keep I keep waiting. Like, the next iteration, the next uh, clone of this concept is going to be like, oh, I don't want to shoot anything. So, here, as you're on the Rails, you have to shoot baskets. And then they give yeah, you a baseball yeah. bat. And then you have to hit baseballs as they're coming at you. And then you have to catch footballs all on rails. Yeah. That's all going to happen one of these days. People are tired of gun. Well, some people are tired of gun games. One really cool thing that this does too, because uh, it's not on rails, it's in a set you know, environment, is whatever you've mapped your boundary to, the, whatever weird shape it is, it kind of gives you a pixelated representation of the boundary at all times on the ground, which is really useful because it's a game where you want to be moving and kind of dodging things so you can always kind of have an area you have an idea of the space you're in uh, on the floor marked out which i think was really cool and a, a very useful addition but yeah cool game definitely check it out cool available now and the other release the big big release a, is a, a, a small little game by the name of marvel's iron man vr came out or is coming out on uh, psvr tomorrow uh david has a review up on the website now uh but yeah this is a psvr exclusive full triple a um iron man game you play as tony stark you suit up as iron man uh you get to play kind of both sides of his life doing some kind of the 
fun kind of social interactions of Tony Stark, but then more importantly, doing this stuff, flying around, shooting the bad guys, making the quips. So what you do is <laughs> the, the game has the game has a really really good control system, right? It's it's appearing on PSVR, and I know PSVR. I know to a lot of people watching this, PSVR is like this kind of dated old fuddy-duddy thing but developer camouflage really does get a lot of mileage out of the headset with this thing and they have such an innovative control scheme um just like real iron man you fly with your hands and where you go depends on the direction you're pointing your hands and because the playstation camera that faces you when you use psvr um you could it could see the moves at all time because you have your hands down by your side to fly most of the time right so even though traditionally it's a 180 degree headset especially when you're using the moves actually the the tracking algorithms here work really well to give you a pretty decent let's say facsimile of 360 degree play so you can really really get lost in the combat in this game i know um Marvel Powers United came out on Rift a couple of years ago, and we all thought it was quite disappointing. This time around, what Camouflage has done is to have just taken one Marvel superhero and really, really refined the gameplay around that one superhero so that it feels very fleshed out, unique, and satisfying. And for me, David reviewed the game. He gave it a four out of five. He really, really loved it. And I really love it too. I think, personally, I, I kind of want to say, and this is maybe a little hyperbole, but we'll see, this is maybe my favorite VR combat system. Hmm. The, the, the way that Camouflage has approached combat in this game is so incredibly intricate and intrinsic to VR in that enemy attacks come at you kind of slowly and are very obviously telegraphed, which gives you, as Iron Man, plenty of time to know when to kind of boost out of the way, which is a double tap of the trigger button on the move controllers. At least I think, yeah. Uh, which you can get out of the way of combat really, really quickly. You can get out of the way of incoming fire really, really quickly, which gives you that kind of uh, MCU movie cinematic feel straight away that you are oh, just dodged a bunch of bullets. I feel really cool. And then either you raise your hand to fire a repulsive blast, like you would as Iron Man, which feels, you know, really, really cool. Or, you know, there's really good gesture controls in the game. So you could actually instead just dip your wrist like that and that will bring up like wrist-mounted rockets or smart bombs or something along those mm. lines which you could then fire instead and the kind of the mix of kind of very cinematic feeling gestures and uh really really cool interactions mixed with that really like one-to-one intrinsic and very very intricate like movement and dodging system gives you such a uh, like tangible well-paced combat system that I absolutely fell in love with. Um, the loading times are really, really, really bad uh, <laughs> because it's on PS4 and it's absolutely pushing the limits of PS4 and especially VR on PS4. And I can't, I can't wait to see if we are able to play it on PS5 with less loading times because it will make the game... It could push the game to 5 out of 5 territory, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I just, I just absolutely love it. If you have a, if you have a PS5... Uh, PS4 even, if you have a PS5, tell us. <laughs> if you have a PS4, um, just go and try it out. There's a free demo. Um, I absolutely, I just completely fell in love. I think the story's great as well. Um, and I, yeah, I really 
can't recommend it enough as a sort almost a sort of swan song to PSVR, even though there are some more games coming out for it uh, that we should be excited about in the future. I'm very excited for this game. Very um, cool. Very cool. Uh, Anything else that released this week that we should discuss? Um, don't I got some, I got something on under embargo that I'll I'll talk about next week. That was really cool. Oh, but yeah, mm, can't really. Okay, cool. Oh. One thing I wanted to ask you, Jamie, is uh, Iron Man in the whole like uh, user interface of like him inside the headset mm. in the movies when Tony when you see inside of his headset, he's got all this UI in front of him. It's kind of always been like kind of like a the people make fun of it. People who are in VR, AR make fun of like this made up interface that doesn't actually work. And I mm. guess I'm wondering, like, can you can you explain like why does it work in VR so well? Like, I've seen some people comment that is it, is it useless at all, or is it all useful? Do you to know, you? It's, it's funny you you mentioned that. I think there's actually a lot of elements of the game that you and uh, and Hedy would actually be kind of fascinated about. Like in the first in the first scene. Uh, you're Tony in his apartment and he has to go find his glasses and he picks them up, puts them on and it does the whole kind of AR uh, overlay thing in an environment that you've already learned to uh, navigate, which is really, really, really interesting. Um, you get like giant screens up in some parts of his house all of a sudden. You can talk to Friday, the AR, uh, the AI operating system, which is really cool. In terms of when you're Iron Man, yeah, you get that kind of overlay that you kind of see in the movies. And we, it's interesting. We actually had a lot of people um, ask us if that would be distracting or inconvenient. For me, it really, really wasn't because there's actually, there's actually a couple of elements in it that are incredibly useful. So you have your health bar down here. But not only that, you have like this kind of little 3D model of yourself that sees where your hands are pointed so that it kind of helps stabilize you a bit more as you're flying and, and gives you a bit more context. And I think by having those kind of actually really genuinely useful elements rather than just a load of jargon, which is obviously what you see in the movies is, oh, yeah, a bunch of ones and zeros and some other maybe he's watching TV over here or whatnot. By having that really useful information, it does become like actually a very interesting and very useful UI, I think. Interesting. Thank you. Cool. 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 All right. All right. Last piece of stuff that we're going to talk about is the hot topic of the week. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. You like that? Don't touch All the right. screen. It's a hot topic. All right. So, Ooh, don't touch it. All right. This is specifically, Ian, I can't wait to hear your answer to this. <laughs> one year out, or one year. Have you had your Valve Index for a full year, Ian? Yes. It's yes. Pretty close to a year, but yeah. All right. So the big question is did it live up to its promise? Is oh. it what we thought it was going to be? I should get I should get to answer that question first. <laughs> why should I why That's should I sad. get to answer that question uh, first? Why is it? Because I had a valve yeah, I had a please. valve index for two weeks before it broke permanently. <laughs> oh. So I'll just I'll just go ahead and just say no. Okay. <laughs> I say okay. yes. Um, so I, I've got a piece that I think I'll probably end up publishing tomorrow. Uh, so check uploadvr.com uh, for it. If you're listening to this on the podcast, it'll already be up. Um, I tried to break this down into uh, sort of five categories or five things to think about that weren't necessarily covered in the first review, the first sort of impressions after a couple weeks with it. Um 
there's a lot of things you can learn about a headset after a year with it. Um, and more or less, so I'll just put this out there, that Rift S has stayed in a box almost the entire year. How um, dare you? Know, I've, I've, I know. I've pulled, I've pulled Rift S out uh, from time to time, but it's either been Index or it's been Quest for me uh, pretty much all year long. Um, mm-hmm. And I've gone back and forth between the two of them. And each has their problems. So uh, one thing about, we'll just get right into it, uh, with Index is heat. It gets warm. It gets very warm. Hmm. And when I first reviewed this, it was sort of before the heat of summer settled in. So it was just like at the start of summer, right in the first days when it's hot out. I was turning the air conditioning cooler uh, whenever I went into VR. And that was true of any headset I would put on. You can get hot and sweaty in every headset. I'm getting hot and sweaty inside of a Quest right now just because the air conditioning is not on uh, very cool and it's getting very warm in the house. But Index gets warmer than other headsets, it seems. It gets a very, it gets a very warm uh, experience. And we're waiting on... Uh, one of our staffers is waiting on delivery of a Childex which can spit into the USB slot on the front of the index uh, and provide a little fan to hopefully cool down the experience. Um, so weird the other that thing is the index. Yeah. It's so weird that it needs that at the end of the day. Like, like yeah. it, it's a third-party peripheral that's almost like not necessary, but like enough people think it's close enough to necessary that they, they buy it. I mean, it's kind of just... It, it's it's. It's literally just I turn my air conditioning two two degrees down whenever I want to go use this uh, headset. That's, that's more or less the situation, and it's fine. I don't really have to. Yeah. So then we've got the controllers. The controllers are a completely different situation. Uh, when it came out, we had uh, Aperture Hand Labs. Uh, first developers were starting to add support for it. And then a year later, or not a year later, but almost a year later, we had Half-Life Alex, which enabled a whole bunch of optional interactions with the five-finger tracking. But, and I maybe leave in the comments if there's other games that we don't know about, but it doesn't seem like these have set the world on fire. These controllers have not been widely adopted, I would say. Well, even even Alex didn't have, you say a whole bunch, but more it's more like one or two kind of yeah. interesting optional extras. And uh, yeah. I certainly, having never played Alex with Index controllers, I certainly didn't feel like I missed pretty much anything at all playing with touch controllers. I still feel like I got the complete experience, uh, even if I couldn't push a can. And, and um, like, to this day, I don't think people can still play Skyrim without, like, modding it uh, on those controllers, which is, you know, absolutely crazy. Well, uh, the, I, yeah. I, I've talked to, um, obviously, I did the sign language in VR test where I got to witness three people who know sign language try to communicate using the Quest hand tracking. And it was it's very fascinating to talk to some of these uh, people who are in uh, VR chat and using index controllers and others to work around, uh, to, to adapt their sign language to work around the fact that you've got a grip in your hand. And it's kind of, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling to me that there are severe limitations to the quest hand tracking if you're trying to use it for something as complex as American Sign Language or some other sign language uh, from another country. But you also have to work around it with the five-finger tracking on index because you're holding a grip in your hand. So 
none of the current generation controllers, as far as I can tell, are providing, you know, the full social experience of being face-to-face with another sign language uh, user and being able to communicate with them exactly one-to-one as you would in the real world. So neither Index nor Oculus Quest hand tracking really fulfills that need. And it's just kind of interesting that they're both completely different perspectives on how you would approach this problem of hand tracking, but neither kind of fills that that gap. And that's obviously a big difference from games. Gaming is like a whole different issue. Um, but there's like things like pinching, right? Where you could pinch your fingers together with hand tracking to get a little bit of a haptic sensation of your fingers actually touching against one another. And uh, that game Playbunker, that, that, that Gerald, I don't know oh, if yeah. he's watching... But he's got that pinch gesture where you just touch a top button on the controller and then you touch the trigger and you could feel like you're actually picking up a chess piece off of a control off of a, off of a table. And the index controllers do that, too. You've got the same kind of gesture where you've got the pad on top and then the trigger and you could do that same kind of thing. Um, it's just we have not seen we've seen the reverb G2 coming out later this year has sort of standardized on the Oculus Touch input system. And none of them are really using the pad the, except for this index controller. The uh, Reverb G2 controllers don't even have the, what's the word, capacitive? Capacitive, capacitive buttons. Like, so they won't yeah, be able so, to do that then. Yeah, um, no, no. It's, yeah. it's literally just, uh, just the buttons and triggers. It's not mm. even the, are you gripping it? Do you have a hand on it? So, but, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just, I feel like that's, it's always been such a kind of like, um, what's the word? I don't know, like superficial part of VR at this stage anyway, right? Like, like Carl's playing around with his hands right now. Like, we, we all kind of sit around and just mess around with the touch controllers like this in the studio right now. No one's ever actually found like a really genuinely brilliant use for even what was on the touch four years ago right and 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 it's just one of those things where like yeah you can look at that and see on paper straight away why it's such a brilliant idea and could bring about so many benefits to vr but also there's just still so far to go that even in as they ship as these what like 99 dollar controllers or something along those lines um it's just still so proof concept at the end of the day and why would Skyrim VR support it? Why would, you know, half the industry support it? Uh, the, so the how, how many how many dollars for a pair of them? Yeesh. Yeah, it's not cheap. <laughs> and but when you add on the when you add on the basins, it becomes an extraordinarily expensive system. And we went back and forth on this. And the biggest part of my article is kind of like having to explain this is very very complex because i can't say one is better than the other really cleanly like i have to say there's there's all these if statements there's all these uh uh, things that i have to account for when i explain the differences between say a quest and an index and um the biggest one i would have to say is i enjoyed every minute of half-life alex in an index it was beautiful Mm -hmm. um i never once thought I should go hook up my link and do this in an Oculus link. It's just night and day. There's not a, there's just, I, it's so easy to say, okay, I'm putting on the index every time. 
played through that entire experience in Index. It was wonderful. Wow. But Pistol Whip you, is my favorite game, which I bring up everything. It's my favorite <laughs> game in VR. I've put on you know sixty or seventy hours into now. It's weird, never heard of yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> weird. Um, I have Pistol Whip ready to go on both Quest and Index, and nine times out of ten, maybe even you know nine point five nine times out of ten, I will go to the Index. I will wait. I'll press the power button on my PC. I'll wait until the Steam VR base station spin up. I will go through the whole process and, you know, I'll get the hand strap controllers, might even plug in the cord because the cord isn't plugged in to get it hooked up to my PC just to have that pistol whip session in the more comfortable experience here. However, if I go back and look over my year in VR, Iron Lights, Tetris Effect, um, the list is extensive. I can't remember all of them just this very minute, but like rec room, laying down on the floor in rec room and doing prone shooting from a, from the top of a billboard. Um, all these moments I had in quest, I had many, many, many more of them because of friend, uh, 11 table tennis, because oh, I had yeah. friends Great who had picked up, uh, because I had friends who picked up quests this year and they were ready to go as quickly as I was in my quest. And you and I, uh, Harry, you in Australia playing Crisis Brigade and me yeah. over here playing Crisis Brigade. We did that in quests. And I just, I, these examples are significant of just how many times I put on the quest. Uh, yet, yeah. <laughs> it's going, going back to it. I would come out of a headache. I will come out of a headache. I will come out of this session today <laughs> with a headache because I wore yeah. quests where I probably wouldn't have had a headache after time with Valve Index. But the thing is, it's like you own both, right? So it's kind of like, yes, of course, if, if I own both, I'd choose to play on the Index too, but I wouldn't recommend someone go buy an mm. Index just to play yep. Alex. I think that to me, that's the kind of the kicker, right? Like it's like people always like, I have a friend who's kind of vaguely interested in VR um, and he's kind of talked about the Index, but it's hard to recommend the Index one because not everything's, you know, like you got Alex and stuff, but then as you said, Skyrim, other big games, the controller support is kind of a a big thing, and but, it's very he- expensive. Headaches, headaches are a big thing. Yeah, definitely a big thing. But the the price gap is like for someone who's only marginally interested in VR and is still kind of figuring things out, right? Like the the margin, the pro, the, the margin in the price difference is huge. Mm-hmm. I also but yes, I also get headaches deal. trying to figure out the controller bindings on Steam VR when I'm using these <laughs> controllers. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I will say. Sorry, Carl, you wanted to speak for ages. What do you want to say? Oh, sorry, Carl, I cut you off. Right, you've you've lost you've lost audio big time. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> there you cord, go. There is. My cord bumps the button. No wonder everybody was ignoring me. Wasn't the normal reasons. No. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the Valve Index is a non-Facebook headset. And how much influence does that concept have on you and your praise for this? Uh, I 
I, I well, there, use there, here. Facebook headsets all the time, no, but no, no, there's no, other I, people who how much? it matters maybe, to significantly more. Maybe not you specifically, but people in general have said, I don't want a yeah, Facebook headset. Don't want a Facebook headset. I, if you so, don't want a Facebook headset, this one would be the one I'd recommend very clearly. Yeah, like yeah. There's, mm. But Reverb G2 is going to change. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. Again, that, that price goal, right? Like the index has such a price uh, goal attached to it in terms of being so expensive that if something like the Reverb G2 comes along and is kind of comparable to or be better than a, a Rift S or something, you know, that'd be a That'd be an interesting place to see what that that the Reload G two and anything else that comes along feels. But yeah, it's like it's yeah. it's a bit like you can't recommend one. Like it's it's not like you don't I you don't not recommend the index. You don't not recommend the Quest. But they kind of occupy different areas. And I think the biggest one for a lot of people would be yeah, price. They, they speak to two different areas of VR now, essentially, right? And yeah. Like think about it this way, like. Some of the stuff that people and including us are finding revelatory on Quest uh, in this day and age is actually stuff that we were finding revelatory on Rift back in 2016, right? Like I think about like super hot and how, yes, it makes the most sense on Quest, but for the enthusiast market, everyone had that experience back in 2016 and had that really kind of amazing like eye-opening moment of what action in VR could be with Supot. And and it's same it's the same for a lot of experiences on Quest that are now speaking to uh, a new generation of people, a, a different type of audience, because you know it is so affordable and so accessible. Like me. And yeah, well I'm exactly right. And, of that. Yeah. And it it just gets back to, you know, this is something that, you know, in you like to speak to quite a lot of yeah, the index does this really, really, really fantastic premium thing right now. And companies are going to continue to keep doing those fantastic premium things. But, you know, it's at this point, it's looking like the next uh, 10 or the next 10 years of VR isn't defined by what, you know, those, those premium headsets are doing, but then how well Quest is able to kind of replicate that experience mm. as the bar keeps rising, right? I think it's we're, we're talking at such an in-between stage where there is no great wireless solution for PC, and it's really tough to kind of compare the wireless freedom of Quest. I, I wrote this in my piece, but like it is and it remains absolute magic to walk from one room to another in a Quest and have a new room guardian set up, and it's not it's it's substantial in mo- in situations where you've got to relocate from room to room. Kids yeah. want to use the living room, uh, their sound, because you want to go play a game privately and everyone is hearing the kids screaming in the background or the dog is barking or whatever. You There's significant reasons to want to switch room to room. And yeah. you can do that in minute or less with Quest, I, I mean, where Valve Index, you would have to remount basing. Uh-huh. And the big, the big one for me, it always And then wireless is on top of it. Yeah. yeah, and the big one with that, to, to that point, even just not within your home, the big one for me is I can take the Quest to people's houses and be like, try this, or at least I could pre, pre-pandemic. But I did that a lot. You know, I take it to friends' places and be like, try this, because they never tried VR, and it's so easy to take with you somewhere. And um, as you said, it's introducing a whole new ge- generation of people to VR who haven't tried it before, and it's very easy to take around. And that's like, mm. for me, that is one of the biggest things I love about the Quest is I can take it to my family when I go visit them. I can take it to friends' houses. Um, 
it doesn't feel like something that's exclusive to my room that I have to be like, come in and let me let me show you where I've got my base station set up, as you said. So, yeah. It really hmm. makes you wonder, like, whether Valve will back the drawing board to develop a new headset with wireless or whether they're actually going to ship wireless for Index. Um, because, like, yes, I value Inside Out and I value the ability to, like, reach behind my back and have that movement captured versus losing it sometimes with a with a quest and it's just you look at reverb and think okay that's a nice backpack so reverb g2 looks like a really nice backpack machine but what happens if i want to use it with a wireless you know connection to a pc that's in the same room um it's just really rough that the pc market has these things where you've got to open up your PC to add wireless to, and we don't have a more universal, easier to use wireless solution than that. I don't know. All PCs, yeah. all PC headsets can benefit that, including the Quest. I wonder how long it'll take for Valve to say Lighthouse is dead. That's what, that's what I was trying to get at. Is that like, if they're going to go inside out and tracking, it seems like that you also go wireless connection wireless. at the same moment. Right. But the Knuckles yes. controllers, the index, that's they need that as well, that lighthouse technology. So there's a huge change of their ecosystem yeah. to get away it'd from it big, truly. It'd be a big deal to move everything yeah. you know, that drastically. I'll be, I'll be curious to see that. Well, I'll tell you what. Guys, this has been a fantastic conversation, but I think we have gone a bit longer than we normally would. We have would. definitely gone a bit longer oh, than we normally would. Yeah, 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 yeah. But great, fantastic conversations. Uh, I want to give a shout-out again to the audience in the YouTube chat. Unfortunately, we have lost connection to it. So you, we yeah, the comments, your comments. Sadly, we're sorry. Your comments. Sorry about that. Right. And uh, also thanks to the folks watching in other platforms such as big screen uh thanks to all of my teammates for putting on a fantastic show today want to encourage everybody to go to uploadvr.com for all your latest news reviews comments and interviews and while you're at it check out our youtube channel and see all of the wonderful content that we've put there as well including things like the vr recap uh jamie you want to Tell us all about that real quick. Yeah, we kind of revamped the, uh, the VR recap. That used to be a thing that we do uh, once a week, every Friday. We'd do like a weekly news recap. Now we're just kind of streamlining the process a bit, making videos for the biggest stories of the week when they happen. Uh, so far, we've seen a really good response to that. And uh, yeah, we're quite excited about keeping that up for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's that's one of the big ones. We're kind of revamping some of our review stuff as well. You might have seen more video coverage around the review for Phantom Cover Ops last uh, week. We've got a bit more uh, video coverage for Iron Man VR this week. Uh, next week, definitely look out for uh, we're in the midst of arranging a spoiler cast with the game's uh, creative director, I think. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing that. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Lots of cool, cool videos coming up. Also, this weekend, uh, there'll be a shooty sky interview with the shooty skies developer and crossy road co-creator Matt Hall that I did, uh, which is a really good interview. It was really nice to chat uh, one Australian to another Australian. So there we go. That was that was a nice a nice one to one Aussie chat. So check that one out. <laughs> Groovy. Ian, any final words? Um, no, I've spoken enough. I'm sorry. 
Fantastic. Why are you apologizing? You have such knowledge. <laughs> oh, so thank you. Oh, good. So yeah. powerful. Right. Was I fair um, enough to index? I, I would. Yes. I want to say uh, you, I wouldn't have had. I wouldn't have had a headache if I had done this in index. And I do have a headache because I did it in quest. No, we're calling well. you Darth Vader because you were so mean to index. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. So. Uh, cap things off thank you all very much for watching be smart be safe we'll see you in the future and friday if you can go ahead and activate my boosters thank you goodbye 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 thank you goodbye